Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who is my fire, my one desire. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. <laughs> it took me a minute. Hello, buddy. Great introduction. I love it. <laughs> Every review of a Champions League semi-final should start with a reference to Alfonso Davies. TikTok. I mean, it really should. That is some incredible effort he put in. Not just like the effort to record that video of him singing that Brooklyn Nine-Nine introduction, but the amount of times he must have watched that to be inspired to do that makes me love yeah. him all the more. If only, if only U.S. men's national yeah. team. But we love him anyway, right? We love him anyway, representing CONCACAF. We love him until June 2021, we assume. <laughs> so yes, on today's show, we are going to be talking about that Champions League semi-final where, spoiler alert, Bayern Munich beat Leon 3-0. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about the goals. Um, and then in the second half of the show, we're going to talk U.S. men's national team World Cup qualifying because we have sort of a schedule but with a few question marks in it um so we can start piecing together what world cup qualifying is going to look like for the u.s men's national and i did not realize um, how much the trauma of the last qualification had stuck with me when i was looking at this and thinking like oh we're only playing good teams like this isn't fair like it's gonna be and then i realized like no this is just qualifying i am scarred from what happened last time this is how it is you have to go away to hunt i don't like it i don't like it daryl <laughs> Um, all right, Taylor, mm. let's start with uh, Bayern Munich's 3-0 win over Lyon. I'm going to say Bayern mission accomplished yeah. in a very um, – they knew exactly where to target and how to do it. Um, they strode in there super confident and they walk out with a 3-0 win. Yes, I would agree with that entirely. I would also say that uh, like Ryan and I talked a little bit yesterday about once PSG got that lead, it didn't really feel likely that Leipzig were pulling it back. I think he tweeted at halftime that it felt like it was over. This one, when Byron got that first goal, even though Leon had had chances, it then felt like this is going to be a very, very uphill battle. When they get the second one, I think I definitely slackened off my intensity of viewing just a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, Leon didn't look ever, they never looked convinced that they could get back in it, did they? No, I mean, even when they make changes and bring in personnel, and it's not to say that they were necessarily like outmatched or outplayed or anything like that. It's just that I think Bayern are such a force and have been so dominant in 2020 that once you go 1-0 down, you have to adjust what you're doing. They, by definition, do not. And so then they can just kind of keep playing their game. You're having to try to kind of figure things out on the fly, and it doesn't always work out, and it did not work out here. So Serge Gnabry scores in the 18th minute. But twice before that, Leon could have gone ahead, right? They had a nice couple of chances. But in hindsight, it all feels like Bayern were just so confident to push push men mm-hmm. high, push men forward. And yeah, Leon are sort of feigned, or their most fearsome thing is that counterattack, yeah. right? That counterattack genuinely is dangerous, genuinely is scary. Leon had two counterattacks in the uh, in the first 18 minutes, and Bayern got away with it. So can we talk about those counterattacks sure. first? Um, the scariest one from a Bayern perspective or the most promising one from a, a Leon perspective is the chance that Memphis had in the fourth minute. We had Thiago upfield uh, trying to force a pass through. Um, Kakere intercepts. I think I think Kakere can do it against anyone, turns yeah. out. He intercepts and then plays, I'm going to say, a perfect yes. through ball for Memphis. It's between Bayern centre-backs, right? It's between Alaba and Boateng and also behind Alaba and Boateng. And Memphis gets behind them, gets himself one-on-one with Manuel Neuer, goes around Manuel Neuer, and hits the side netting. 
this was the moment that probably could have changed the game. I think so. I think so. And much has been made of that Bayern Munich high line, and that is definitely a factor here. I would say, you mentioned Thiago being upfield. He's upfield because he carries the ball away from the central position that he was occupying and then gives it away, yeah. and that's where the pass goes. The pass basically goes where he had been standing. So I'm assuming that Hansi Flick is probably pretty annoyed or was annoyed in the moment with that one. Uh, but it is an inch-perfect pass. The thing I haven't seen much like credit given for is Manuel Neuer, because I think he gets out and sort of causes uh, Memphis problems before he expected to be having to deal with a goalkeeper. And then on top of that, I think he does a good job of shuffling him just wide enough that that shot isn't on frame. Because yeah. I would have fully expected him to score. I did fully expect him to score. And I think it's credit to Manuel Neuer for just making it a slightly more challenging equation that in the end Memphis was not able to solve. And Manuel Neuer is part of the defensive equation, True. right? He's part of the reason that Bayern are willing to push so high, both defensively and when they're attacking. I mean, they've got faith in their back line. They've got faith in the recovery speed, I would say, of all four defenders. Um, but then they've also got faith that Manuel Neuer will come off his line and either get to the ball first or make things really difficult for a striker like Memphis. So I see this as evidence of just Bayern are just confident that they can pull it mm-hmm. up. Yeah, I think... I mean, even the, fir- the, first, um, the first play of the game, the first 15, 30 seconds, and if you notice this, but um, Bayern push Kimmich, the right-back high, and push Alfonso Davies, the left-back high. That means that Alaba and Boateng are sort of the only guys back. And then they play quite a direct ball um, and, and lose it and risk being counter-attacked in the first 15 mm-hmm. seconds. It just felt really... Like, almost just strutting, like, yeah, I dare you. I dare you to counterattack Leon. I know that's what you think you're good at, but we don't care. There's there's the cliche of, like, like they've been here before. You can be overcome by the moment. You can be overcome by the pressure of not having played in this type of atmosphere, or at least in this type of setting, the Champions League semifinal. I think this is a good example of Bayern having the swagger from having been there and having the form that they're in, that... To some extent, this is exactly what people thought. Is like they can be got if if they maybe make some positional mistakes or give the ball away, and they're a little bit too high. And there, I think, are, are managers out there who might have felt like, okay, never mind, we got to change some things up. This isn't working. This is a problem. And it's a credit to Bayern Munich that they were just like, no, we know it's going to work out. We're going to keep doing what we do, and that's pretty much exactly how that went down. Yeah. So unlike, say, uh, Manchester City mm-hmm. managed by Pep Guardiola, Bayern chose the exact same starting eleven yep. that. Uh, that faced Barcelona in the previous round and played essentially the exact same game, but with, I think, a slight tweak to focus on Lyon's vulnerabilities. And I would say both of the first two goals, at least for Bayern, come from exploiting Lyon's vulnerabilities, which, credit to us, um, we we noticed or we highlighted in our preview Mm -hmm. show on Monday. Would you care to explain Lyon's vulnerability and maybe explain how Bayern exploited it for the first goal? I shall do my best, and I look forward to you clarifying the <laughs> rambling things that I've said that don't end up making sense. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I'm the uh, I'm the Hansi Flick to your um, to your Yogi Love. I think I'll take that. I think I'll take that. The, the <laughs> grossness of Yogi Love aside, yes, I'll take the 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 tactical genius. Uh, but in this yeah, case, pick your, pick your nose while you do. I, I did actually just scratch my nose. Not picking. Key distinction. <laughs> <laughs> there was no pick, as Jerry would say. Uh, it's Leon in their five three two. That's how they're going with with their defensive shape. But those two wing backs do sort of have to do a little bit of extra duty, especially when uh, Bayern Munich are building out of the back. That was when they would sort of step forward and get a little bit higher. And I think that is what Bayern Munich were sort of intent. Intentionally trying to do. Uh, it's what 
uh, Serge Gnabry ends up scoring from that, but then after the game says, like, yes, we were trying to kind of capitalize on the space that we could find out wide behind the wingbacks. And I think a big part of that was sort of then emphasized by Bayern sending numbers into that area to create overloads, to create confusion, and sort of pull people out just a little bit more so then other opportunities do open up. Yeah, so specifically on this first goal, the confusion is created between uh, Leon's left centre-back, Marcel, I believe his name is, um, and Leon's left wing-back, Cornet, because I think Marcel initially thinks he's got Serge Gnabry, which means Cornet can go up and engage with Joshua Kimmich. But what they do is Gnabry starts pulling wide into that space behind Cornet. And then at the same time, Thomas Muller comes in, uh, engages in the space where Marcel is. So I really think M- M- uh, Thomas Muller tricks Marcel into picking up Thomas Muller mm-hmm. and leaving Serge Gnabry wide open. And then poor Maxwell Cornet is essentially caught between yeah. Kimmich and Gnabry. And he's not engaging Kimmich, so there's no pressure on Kimmich. And he's not goal side of Gnabry. So he's essentially caught in no man's land. And I think that was a deliberate trap that Bayern had set up. So between Kimmich, Gnabry and Muller, they managed to exploit that space. Because then, if I remember correctly, Kimmich is open to then just clip the ball over the top of Cornet and into the feet of Serge Gnabry. And he's not marked by anyone. And then all he has to do is uh, iron robin it the rest of the way. Yes, I want to talk about that iron robin it in a moment. But first, the thing there that I think is also of fundamental importance, when you talk about Thomas Muller occupying Marcel, Marcel, however you want to go with, uh, I think what that does then is that if you're Cornet, you think, I'm not stepping to Kimmich, I know Gnabry is there, but I'm splitting the difference and I'm also taking away that driven ball. He can't play it into his feet. If it goes over the top, there's the assumption of my left center back will kind of patrol that area. He'll win it. He'll clear it. So I don't need to worry about that clipped ball. But if that center back, Marcel, is currently occupied with another attacker, he cannot then go and attack that ball. And I think that is the vulnerability that Byron so effectively exploit. And I guess this is, we talk about Thomas Muller exploiting space, Mm -hmm. right? Or interpreting space. And usually we talk about it in a way where it's Thomas Muller finding the space to get himself on the end of a ball to score himself. This is a situation where he's exploiting space for someone mm-hmm. else, right? It's the selfless Ramdeuter. Yeah. This is what's going on for and Thomas And vacates Moore. it as Gnabry comes inside and takes defenders away with yeah. him there as well. Yeah. And this... Oh, so it's, it's not a Muller hello. It's a Muller here you go. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know what it would... I'll take Muller here you go. That's better than anything yeah. I think I can come up with on the fly. <laughs> uh, but I like that we're, we're praising Thomas Muller and not Serge Gnabry for this run. Uh, because I think this is part of the instructions that if you do find yourself behind that defender... In a, in a vulnerable position for Lyon, capitalize on it as quickly as you can. And I think that's why yeah. the commentators uh, for CBS were saying, like, he's never looking to pass. He's never looking to do anything other than get a shot there. And I think that is exactly what he's been told to do. And I think you see the reason why with the shot he ends up taking and how strongly it hits the back of the net. So so you think it's like once we've got him behind yes. and found that bit of space behind the wing back and outside of the center back, don't give them time to reorganize, to get everybody back. Just like make something happen in that yeah, moment. And that, yeah, that really is what Serge Gnabry And did. I wouldn't be surprised if the scouting was even so detailed as a thing we talked about with um, Atletico Madrid, is that if you do find that space in behind those wingbacks, that the, I think the natural inclination maybe for the defense is to drop really deep, really quickly, to make sure that they don't have anybody, that they're not leaving any gaps, that there's no kind of area exposed. But what that then does is create space in front of goal, specifically around the top of the box. And I do think that those back three drop off a little bit more because suddenly we've got Bayern Munich running at us, let's drop. But that is why then Serge Gnabry is 
sort of able to run unmolested through that middle. I think Awa comes back yeah. and tries to make a play, but he is in the very much wrong position, and all he can do is either sort of make a half attempt but have to back off or concede a free kick and probably get a yellow card inside the first 20 minutes, which he doesn't want to do, and it ends up with Gnabry being able to shoot in a fairly confident way. And I think the most impressive thing is it's left-footed a la Iron mm-hmm. Robin. Serge Gnabry is not left-footed. Nope. Serge Gnabry is right-footed. So he, I think he dribbles right-footed the whole way um, and then just unleashes with his left foot once that, that shooting opportunity is on. Mm-hmm. He, he, it's the, uh, what's that? Like, he's setting him up. That's all. It's like, you keep using the right, you keep using the right, you hit him with the left. <laughs> and I guess you, you already gave the theory, right, of why maybe no one actually manages to step or put a body or put a tackle on Gnabry. You're basically saying it's because... They're scrambling back. Yeah, I think the defense is dra- dropping back. The midfield has to try to close, but there's still that gap. I think Muller makes a really smart run that pulls some people away, opens up a little bit of space. Robert Lewandowski has gone out to the left side of, of goal. I think he, too, is a player that they don't want to like lose track of. So I think there's that idea of we're dropping back by under counterattacking. We've kind of ceded uh, like ground in an area we did not want to, so let's try to make sure everybody's contained. But if you're focusing on all the players around the player on the ball, you're not necessarily focused on that player on the ball and i do think that's what happens here so you ready to talk second goal mm-hmm. which i guess is kind of the the back breaker yeah. it's serge Gnabry yeah, it again with ultimately um a tap in or a, a chip in i guess um after a bit of a scramble in the six yard box but it's also serge yes, Gnabry's. i'm going to call it um defensive mm-hmm. nav that that sets this all yeah. up right so there's a a pretty direct ball i'm not sure which bayern player Alfonso Davies. plays it it's Alfonso mm. Davies. All right. So this wasn't a rare thing, right, for Bayern players to kind of just chip the ball into the middle in the general Robert Lewandowski or Thomas Muller area. And it almost, they're so confident that it doesn't matter that he doesn't win it. They're quite often re- regaining possession after it drops anyway, mm-hmm. right? And that's sort of what happens here because Cornet is the guy that, that picks it up. And I think he's just a little slow controlling it and thinking he has time to do something with it but Gnabry is on him instantly and rubbing yeah. him I mean he really is and it's that like I'm not Arjen rubbing him but <laughs> rubbing him this time it does like he's wearing like slippers or something he's very very quiet because I don't know how Cornet <laughs> does not hear this coming especially in an empty stadium you would have expected him to hear the fast approaching Serge Gnabry but yeah Cornet brings that ball down and all I can figure is that he thinks like maybe Gnabry's overrun this or thought it was going to be more of a like, it would have more room to run onto it, so he's out of the equation. But either way, yeah, he brings that ball down and takes his time trying to figure out what to do. And Gnabry, to his credit, pokes that ball away, and away Byron go. And so what happens mm-hmm. next? Uh, Gnabry does the lateral run again. He's kind of a seam, he's mining, mm-hmm. um, right in front of Leon's defense. And I think, yeah, the instruction, once again, is once we've got them here, let's get them. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go at them. And I think it's Perisic who is free wide on the left correct. this time. And when I re-watch this, I'm thinking... Where's the right wing back? Where's where's Dubois? Dubois had gone up to try and engage Alfonso Davies to begin with. So once again, it's a Leon wing back stepping to engage the Bayern full back and then the Bayern winger running into the yeah. space behind yeah. him. Right? They they did it again just on the other side. Um and it's Perisic's what, like just square ball across the box. Uh Denier does a step over, yep. I think, accidentally as he's trying to block it. And then I actually, I can't remember who's involved, but there's a sort of, I, I, it's Only because I wrote the, down like, Muller with side. a bunch of question marks and I was like, I don't think it actually was. And I went back and rewatched it. It's definitely Lewandowski. So yeah, that's, uh, that, 
I guess should have been Lewandowski's yeah. goal, but Gnabry's there to uh, to sweep up. Yeah, uh, and yeah, credit to Gnabry for winning that ball, then continuing his run forward, and then just being alive to it because he is sort of left center at the top of the eighteen when Perisic has that ball and closes the ground to be in a position to tap at home. Yes, it's a tap in as you said, but it's you know as we've said before on this show, you've got to be in the position to make that tap in, and credit to Gnabry for doing just that. Absolutely, yeah. He did the the reverse Raheem Sterling. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> just shots on shots at Man City in this one. <laughs> well, actually, I want to talk about that for sure. a second. Uh, you you questioned uh, on Monday that what maybe Pep did overthink mm-hmm. it. Um, you thought maybe Joe and I had got it wrong. I think I've come to a more nuanced thinking about this, which is I still agree with Joe Lowry that Pep didn't overthink mm-hmm. it against Leon because what he sent Man City out to do wasn't like hyper complicated, right? It was just that he went with a back three instead of a back four, right? Yeah. And I would argue that overthinking it is what Pep did a few years ago when he sent Bayern out to sort of man mark Barcelona all over the field, just a completely new system. But so it's more that he's, he definitely got it wrong, right? But overthinking it is the wrong term. Man, this is... Essentially, what he did, yeah. essentially, what he did is was just not confident enough to go out and tell Man City to do what they normally do, which is basically what Hansi Flick sent Bayern out. This do. is a very so th- you and me conversation right now because it's like the nuance of the nuance of the nuance. But yes, I'm, yeah. I'm with you that it wasn't overthinking. Nothing wrong with a bit of nuance, Tyler. It was underconfidencing. Yes, I would say it's something yes. along those lines of, tr- of trying to be a bit too defensive. You don't want to gamble too much in a, in a one-off elimination sort of situation. But I think then you are... Again, you're right, not overthinking it, but you're changing it up enough that you then have to problem solve on the fly. And here, I think we saw Bayern Munich not change it up very much and therefore don't really have to problem solve in a way of like, oh, we didn't see that not working. Now we've got to fix that. It's sort of like we know this is going to work. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, I think of it this way, the tweak or the difference that Pep made when Man City played Leon Mm -hmm. was he had extra defenders to to contain the Leon counterattack. Whereas Hansi Flick sent Bayern Mm -hmm. out with... Yeah, fine, whatever. Get in behind <laughs> us if you want. We'll either tackle you or, yeah. you know, Boateng will block the ball in or Manuel Neuer will come and get you. But the tweak I'm making is that we're just going to make sure that we exploit these wide areas to the side of the centre-backs and behind mm-hmm. the wing-backs. So an attacking, an attacking tweak for Bayern versus essentially a defensive tweak for Manchester City. It's all about confidence. It, it, yeah, and I think then you saw Bayern in the second half. I don't know how much more we want to go into this one, but I think you saw that confidence there that even when they lose... Jerome Boateng with a uh, muscle injury. Uh, Nicolas Sula comes in, but they continue to play more or less their game. I think they're a little bit more cautious. I think they're definitely not committing as many numbers forward, and they're willing to take their chances when they come, which they do with that free kick that uh, Robert Lewandowski scores to make it 3-0. But for the most part, I felt like in that second half, even when Leon did try to change things up and did try to change their shape, it's still, you just never really believe that they were going to find a problem area that was so problematic that they could get two and then eventually three goals back and yeah and i think the the final insult <laughs> was um late in the second half to bring on oh here's a leon midfielder we bought from you three years ago in talisa <laughs> i mean you could go with that you could go with felipe coutinho coming off the bench is just they like yeah. yeah why not and then even you know a pavard we want to get him some minutes we want to make sure he's fully match fit if we do want to go with him in the final yeah there's a few different substitutions in there that were both i think tactical and a little bit salt in the wound at the same time yeah, I should agree the Pavard substitution was maybe the harshest because it was like, let's give him a run yeah, out exactly. just to see if he is. Oh, you guys are still playing in the semi-final? All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
anything else to anything else to add on the on this game or about Leon or anything, Taylor? Uh, this is a final call yeah. for thoughts on this game. Two, two quick things. One, uh, you mentioned the Memphis one was probably their best chance. I think the Toko Akambi was maybe one that PSG will be keeping an eye on a little bit more, but that is something we can talk about when we do our preview, and I will be sure to mention it there. The other thing is that I would say that Lewandowski third goal, or uh, the third goal scored by Robert Lewandowski, is a little bit of master set piece theater, just that Bayern basically spread their attackers in such a way that the space where Lewandowski ends up occupying is designed then to be wide open, and then he checks back and gets there right as the ball is delivered, and I just thought it was a perfectly drawn up and perfectly executed uh, set piece, so credit to them for that as well. I mean, master set piece theater, It is indeed. It is indeed. Yeah. Um, All right, before we move on to talk U.S. men's national team, today's show is sponsored by the fine, fine people at Fubo TV. Mm-hmm. They are indeed fine because, Daryl, this time I didn't even do my common mistake. This time I forgot to DVR it entirely. But you know what you can oh, do no. when you forget to DVR it entirely? Still watch it because it's on demand immediately. And I love Fubo for yep. that. And it's available for 72 mm-hmm. hours. You get a 72 hour grace period with Fubo for games you forgot to watch and forgot to DVR. It's, you get three chances, basically. You do, and I want to say credit to Fubo. I think it's an individual channel sort of thing. I'm not sure why I think that, and I might be very wrong because technology hurts my brain, but there are some times when you don't DVR, you're watching it on demand that you cannot fast-forward, and it's a credit to either TUDNA or Fubo that I could fast-forward through this game despite not recording it so that I could then get to the goals, get to the key moments, and be ready to talk for today's show. If that's not your concern, maybe you don't have a an entire tactical show to uh, to kind of prep for, but maybe you just don't want to watch the halftime show or the moments of the game when you know don't matter. You can skip those through as well without even hitting the DVR button. So credit to Fubo for that. And whatever you want to watch, Fubo has got you yep. covered. Unless you have like crazy niche tastes, because they have Fox Sports One, Fox Sports Two, both the ESPNs, um, NBC Sports, which is where you get the Premier League, and two-day NA, which really is um, full of soccer. Absolutely full of soccer. It's full of international soccer as well um, in the international breaks when they have all the two-day NA extra channels. There'll be like nine different channels of international matches going on. Um, It's it's my favorite in the international. Well, we are going to have some of those to discuss. So if you want to be well prepared, you can go to fubo.tv slash TSS today and start your free seven-day trial. You will not regret it, Mr. Grove and everybody else listening. That's fubo.tv slash TSS. Start your free trial today. I guess I would regret it because I've already got it. And I'd be thinking, why have I done a free trial for a thing I've already got? I mean, you never if you know. haven't already got it, it's perfect. <laughs> fair. A fair distinction. <laughs> so one more time, it's fubo.tv slash TSS and start your seven-day free trial. Thank you to Fubo for sponsoring today's Total Soccer Show. Thank you f- to World Cup Qualifying for continuing to exist because I kind of forgot that this was going to be a thing until the news dropped yes. today. So if people don't know, here's uh, the, the basics that we learned a couple weeks ago is that instead of the hex, there's going to be um, an octagonal, an eight-team yeah. final round of CONCACAF qualifying for the World Cup. That means each team, including the United States, will play 14 games, seven home and seven away. We now know that this will start in June 2022, and we've sort of got a schedule... Excuse me, excuse me, June 2021. I, I apologize. Um, and we've now Forget got it. a schedule of who the U.S. is going to play, except there are three teams still to be added yep. to the octagonal. This is slightly complicated, right? I think um, there's so, more than three, right? Aren't there like four or five teams? 
No, there are five okay. teams who already go, and then there are three teams um, to be decided um, yes. via the second Sorry. round of CONCACAF qualifying. That's right, I get confused. You're, you're also forgiven. Well, because there are, yes, I appreciate that, because there are, what, it's like they play their groups, then the winners of those groups play each other, and the winners of those make it through. That's where I was confused, because I was like, couldn't we play El Salvador or Trinidad in one of those games? But it's because we don't know who will win that game before they can get to yes. that round. There we go. So, now I'm there. So... Here's what we know. In June 2021, the U.S. will open with four World Cup qualifying oh, games boy. in the month of June. The very first World Cup qualifying game will be away to either the winner of Group A from the second round or the winner of Group mm-hmm. F. Based on who the strongest team is, that's either El Salvador um, or Trinidad and Tobago. And I think we've all got to hope that we start World Cup qualifying away to Trinidad and Tobago. Let's pick up where we left off. Let's start over where we made our big mistake. Yeah. Apologies to our Salvadorian listeners uh, who maybe won't agree with that one. But yes, I want revenge, even if I'm still terrified of World Cup qualifying. I would like to start off by beating Trinidad and feeling a little bit of, of, of a cathartic moment of like, okay, maybe now we can't handle things. It'll all be okay. I even want it in the same stadium, and I want you to want flood too? the pitch. Yeah. I want it raining too, and I want to see the new generation. I want to see Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams confidently splashing through the water on their way to the game and then winning that match on a soggy, soggy field. If we lose that game, though, Daryl Grove, I'm taking the week off, and you're going to have to find someone else to talk about soccer because I'm going to be in a hole concerned about life. Well, the second game is at home to either the winner of Group B or the winner of Group E, which is probably Canada or Haiti. Mm -hmm. So that could be a pretty tough game. Either Canada or Haiti is a somewhat challenging CONCACAF game, right? Then, still in June, we go away to Honduras, which for me is the classic tough CONCACAF World Cup qualifying away game because where it's it's an opponent that you would normally expect to beat, Mm -hmm. right? But it's a tough away trip, and that makes it a challenging game. Just ask Timmy yeah, Chandler. I was going to say, Timmy Chandler right, so and you agree on that sentiment, yes. So that, that's the classic away qualifying game. So away to Honduras, still in June, and then home to Jamaica. Right. Jamaica, not a bad team at all. So it's actually a really interesting first four games, right? Yes, yeah. And then, so we've got all of those in June. I think Burhalter. Uh, kind of explaining the schedule, explaining his approach, said I think he is planning to essentially call in his strongest squad, the European players included, uh, basically as soon as their seasons are over to get them into camp, to get them ready for those games, and then yeah. we'll see how it goes. So then, in terms of World Cup qualifying, then there are four games in June, then two games in September, two games in October, two games in November, January 2022, and March 2022. Right. So a lot of World Cup qualifying games. We're obviously not going to go through all 14 fixtures, but a couple worth highlighting. Um, we're at home to Mexico mm-hmm. in October 2021. We're away to Mexico, up at the Azteca in January 2022. And then, if it goes down to the wire, our final game... Oh in March 2022, is away to Costa Rica. Yeah. That's a tough one as well. It should be in the bag by then, unless we've done something very, very, very wrong. Let's just make sure Kaylor Navas continues to have uh, hamstring injuries around, around <laughs> that time. It's, it's, it's only like more than a year away. I'm sure it'll be fine. <laughs> the other thing I want to talk about, Taylor, is four World Cup qualifying games in June. I find that kind of exciting mm-hmm. because we'll have a good idea of where we're at, right? Rather than doing it piecemeal like we normally have to. Um, but then as soon as that's decided, and like Behalter said, his strongest possible squad will be for those June World Cup qualifiers. Then there's the Gold Cup, 
which will not be the same squad because you can't ask players to play that many games, right? Especially after and their then, seasons have, have just ended. Yeah, like as I said, yes, that's why I was exactly. making that point that it's basically season ends, they go straight into camp and then they play those games. So the expectation would then be you give them a bit of a rest and maybe don't make them play a bunch more games back to back to back. Then there's the Gold Cup and then there's the Olympics oh a, a little later on. And the interesting thing is for me, the Olympics, you pick your best possible under 23 team for the World Cup qualifiers. You pick your just best possible team, no matter what that is right in the middle is going to be the gold cup. It's going to be a real test of the U S national team's depth. That gold cup. Yep. I think, so we think what Christian rolled on your time to shine. I mean, if he doesn't make the strongest squad for June, then yeah, that Christian Roldan is the type of player that's going to be playing um, oh. in the gold cup. But, but normally that would be the tournament for say, uh, I don't know, Jesus Ferreira or, or mm-hmm. Paxton Pomacal or someone to be playing in. But you would think maybe they're more Olympic likely than they are uh, than they are Gold Cup likely, because you probably prioritize the Olympics over the Gold Cup, right? So that's going to be a really like third string team for the Gold Cup. And I'm already half fascinated, more fascinated than excited. Let's put it that way for what that Gold Cup team's going to. I'm going like. to say it's like a B slash C team because m- my guess would be that we'll have a sort of primary squad for those June qualifiers as you said but there will be people in that squad who don't get as many minutes or don't get to play as much and maybe then they will be allowed to start or get more minutes in the Gold Cup and some of the starters who did play in those qualifiers will then be swapped out for those kind of C plus sort of squad players. Oh that's possible yeah so you think you could be you could be in the World Cup qualifying squad not play much and then still go and play in the Gold Cup? That would be my guess yeah. I don't see why not. I mean, but I also wouldn't guarantee. I think it probably just depends on on how much depth there is, and I think that's the overall point you're making. Is that if we send a bunch of our youngsters to the Olympics, we would assume. I know what you mean when you say we send like our best possible young players, but we probably don't send some of the people who are eligible, like a Pulisic or a Tyler Adams. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that you remove that, you remove those kind of top top tier players, and you, you, what what you're left with is probably what we're going to get in the Gold Cup in some form or another. I just see Christian Roldan hoisting the Gold Cup. There we go. There we go. And I think, and I think I would. I was a little bit more hesitant about this, a little bit more nervous about that Gold Cup when before we started recording. Your point then about Mexico being in the same situation made me feel a little bit better. Yeah, they also have four World Cup qualifiers in June, and they also will hoping will hope to be in the Olympics Mm -hmm. afterwards, right? So we'll both be sending um, the the very depths of what we've got (laughs) to to the Gold Cup. And then we'd still expect to beat most other teams, right? With all due respect to like Kurosawa or something like that, we would hope that a third-string US is still capable of beating that. I mean, for now, we don't know who Kurosawa are going to get to become Kurosawa players in the meantime. That's true. He'll probably probably just be the Dutch team. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Um, The other thing we learned um, from, I think it came from a Behalter press conference Mm -hmm. and we saw it reported by Paul Tenorio, for The Athletic, very good website, by the way, The Athletic, I've heard of it. in case you've uh, not, not heard of it, um, is that we, th- uh, according to Berhalter, there will be a domestic-based roster um, for some October 2020 friendlies and a Euro-based roster for some, for some November 2020 friendlies. Mm-hmm. My first reaction was, oh, no, I don't like having two different rosters because then your whole team doesn't get to practice together. Yeah. But I think there's a key phrase. Uh, you sent me the quote, right? The key phrase is that... Um, 
because of the times, we're going to have uh, domestic and Euro rosters. Right. It's all about coronavirus. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, you've got to kind of be flexible. You've got to deal with things as they come. And I think it will require you to kind of not pull people away from their European schedules, which are already going to be congested to come play in those friendlies in October and then go and play in friendlies in November. Yeah. yeah I think it makes sense to give them a little bit of rest. And then I think he's also trying to target some stronger European opponents as well. So we'll get some like good, challenging games for yeah. that squad. Well, I mean, I took because of the times to mean coronavirus, to mean don't make people travel yeah. farther than we have to. Like, oh, that don't makes make sense. people yeah. travel transatlantically, right? Because what else could you mean by because of the times? Um, so, yeah, that's why I took the it times to mean, like, of London. Roster. They've been too critical and he <laughs> doesn't want them around anymore. That, that could be it. That could be it. <laughs> um, one more thing we should remind people, even though I'm guessing most people remember, but I always feel it necessary to tell myself this. World Cup 2022 in November, uh, not in the summer. So when you see those those final games, as Daryl said, the March game against Costa Rica, there's that moment of like, we're playing in March and then the World Cup starts in two months or three months. It does not. It starts in November. It does. It starts around Thanksgiving, which is going to be... I think it's like the day after Thanksgiving until like the day before Christmas Eve is, I think, the timeline that I last saw, which would be sort of convenient, but also sort of terrifying. Yeah. And just, it, I mean, it shouldn't be there to begin with, right? But there's no point complaining about it all the way to the... All the way to kick off. Oh, oh, is it a controversial appointment? I didn't know. Is 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 Qatar sure going to the World Cup? Has that not gone swimmingly and totally up to ethical human standards? You want me to rant for twenty minutes, Daryl? Is that what you want? No, thank okay. you. Okay. Um, instead, one thing I do want to mention, mm-hmm. maybe a brighter note to close on. Um, I think we'd both been a little bit wary of the Ted Lasso show yep. coming to Apple Plus um, streaming, um, and we I, we haven't really talked about this, but the impression I got from our text was that we both thought maybe. This is a sketch character and it's pretty thin. And how are you going to have this 30 minute yeah, small, show about small it? Doses, and I yeah. saw, I saw some of, yeah, small doses. Yeah. And I saw some of the jokes repeated, but on a higher budget and it felt kind of weird to me. But I've been reading the reviews and apparently the Ted Lasso show is really, really good. That they've really fleshed him out into like a sympathetic, enthusiastic character and that the show kind of works. So I don't have Apple Plus. I don't think you do. I think it's um, the only one we don't but, have at this point. Yeah, so I, I'm not willing to commit to reviewing it yet, but I will say I'm definitely more interested in it than I was before based on reading the reviews. And you know me, Taylor, I'm a review truster. You are. How much How much do those reviews focus in on Jason Sudeikis? Because I do think he has the charisma to sort of carry what could be a very one-note character because he does just seem to be so likable. I mean, he's a man who can dance in the background and he's one of the funniest parts of a sketch. Yes, uh, yeah, quite a lot focus on Jason Sudeikis, but not just on like his performance and his charisma and his sort of, um, he's just got a charm about him, right? Mm-hmm. You want you want good things for him. But also uh, Bill Lawrence is the showrunner, I think. Oh, yeah. They've really fleshed it out. They've really fleshed it out. So he's not the sketch character from the NBC promos. It's based on that, but he's now a real person. I, you know I, I say, oh, yeah, uh, because Bill Lawrence, uh, the showrunner for Scrubs, I believe. Yes, there you go. There you go. I mean, yeah, and there's a version of Scribs that you could take it as very cartoony, mm-hmm. but I've also, I've had some emotional moments watching Scribs. I have heard, especially the first couple seasons, Scrubs is the most accurate medical show on television. Yes. Because it's just I've about like, boredom and debt, basically. Yeah, I've heard that too. <laughs> um, so there we I'm go. Also, this is the most realistic show about soccer we've ever seen, is what we're saying, basically. I'm also a, recent, a more recent Jason Sudeikis convert. I watched a movie that he stars in with Ed Harris on Netflix called oh. Kodachrome. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but it is really, really good and really, really moving. I, I mean, it's like a fa- it's a father son relationship thing where Jason Sudeikis is sort of estranged from his cantankerous, famous photographer dad, 
um, who is uh, has a terminal illness, which sounds kind of um, deliberately pulling at your heartstrings, but it's also it's got that classic thing where it's kind of funny and bitter and also moving. Uh, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I will check that out because that sounds sort of like Last Man and his his sort of stint on that show. It also sounds a bit like Colossal, a movie he's in with Anne Hathaway. This has just become the Jason Sudeikis talk show. Uh, I really enjoy <laughs> Colossal as well. Even if you're not a big Anne Hathaway fan, I suggest you watch that one because it is both funny and moving and pretty emotional at the same time. Well, I'm sort of deliberately backtracking because I think we'd both been, or at least I had been kind of dismissive of, I'm not going to watch that. There's no way I'm watching a a 30-second sketch character pulled into a 30-minute TV show. From the reviews, I'm 100% wrong, and people should watch it if they have the opportunity to. All right. right. Anyway, uh, this episode of The Total Soccer Show is brought to you by Apple Plus. Is that what we're doing next? (laughs) I mean, if they'll give us a free login, then yes. All right. (laughs) I would would make that trade up. All right, Taylor, we are going to be off on Thursday, right? No Total Soccer Show on Thursday, but we will be back with a vengeance on Friday. And by vengeance, I mean Champions League final preview. Uh, Yes, it's the third Champions League show we're doing this week. Die Hard with a Vengeance was the third of the franchise. It all checks out, (laughs) Daryl. Well done, sir. Champions League preview with a vengeance. PSG, Bayern, that's going to be a fascinating game to to analyze, uh, to pre-analyze. That's what I like to call it. Pre-analyze. We'll pre-analyze it on Friday. It occurs to me this is the fourth Champions League show we've done this week, so never mind. It's Die Hard with a freedom of dying or something, whatever that fourth one was. Die Harder? Uh, I think that's the second one. It's Live Free or Die Hard, I think, is the fourth one. I forget. I don't know. They're all ridiculous as they go. He jumps off of a plane and is fine in one of them. And that was where I was like, okay, like getting cut with glass is one thing. Surviving being dragged by a plane for a mile is another. Yeah, there should have been like a diehard um, between the first and second movie uh-huh. where he's just in hospital for <laughs> Exactly, right? With his feet healing and his various injuries right? healing. It's like, yeah, diehard die 1.5 is him potentially having to retire from the force because he's like cut tendons in his feet and can no longer yeah. walk and has to do physical therapy. Yeah. It'd be a, a long webisode. Um, all right, I think we've, we've definitely veered away from soccer. So How I'm we- going to say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Uh, yippee ki right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will be back again on Friday, Champions League preview with Avengers.